Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Tonight I want to actually talk about the power of words. That's what we're going to focus on tonight. Um, For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the members here at RCC, and my trade, if you want to call it that by nature, is I'm a teacher. So when Matt talked to me about uh, speaking this Sunday, he asked me just to preach about something that's on my heart, something that's in the news. And I've been talking with some of my older students at the school, and when I say older, we do early education, so kindergartners, about some of the stuff that's been going on just in the world. And I can tell even at this age, at five and six years old, they're kind of scared of some of the things that are being said. Some of the things are being done. We're at a very volatile time in our country where we have different things going on. We have, of course, you know, the coronavirus and race race relations are not the best that they are. And and people are trying to focus on better ways around that. And, of course, politicians are slinging things right back and forth at each other. And it's words, it's words, it's words. So tonight I want to talk just a little bit about the power of words. So... As I mentioned, I I am an early educator, so I spend a lot of time with kids. My backgrounds uh, in education is with kids and focusing on their needs and their development. So I want to give you just a little bit of a background on where words start. So kids, when they're born from the time they're infants, they want to speak. They want to communicate. They want to use words. The greatest uh, early educators and researchers of all time all agree that the first thing a child wants to do is speak. Now they can't speak because they don't have the cognitive development to form words or the the ability to physically do that. So what do they do? They cry. And they know that after they cry, they get things. And it becomes a power for them. That's how they communicate. Now the funny thing that happens is about two and a half to three years old, they realize there's a different power to their words. (laughs) It's no longer necessary to just get things. Now they can use words to hurt people. And so they'll say silly things back and forth to each other. We've all heard the insults that come out of kids' mouths. They kind of make us chuckle how ridiculous they are compared to what we say to each other as adults. But they can be very powerful. About a year and a half ago, um, I'm an administrator, and I got called into a classroom because there was a little girl that was crying hysterically. We couldn't figure out why. And finally, when she calmed down, she had said her best friend in the class had called her a bookhead. To me, if somebody called me a bookhead, that's like saying, hey, you're smart, right? (laughs) You know, you read all the time. But for her, hearing this from her best friend, it was a dagger. It was something terrible that was said to her. And it caused her to go into this fit of crying until we could finally calm down and hug it out and say that we're sorry. But they realize at the ages of three, four, five, six years old, now their words have power. Now their words have become tools. And I want to talk about that for just a second. Now, you'll know I'm a teacher in a second when you see all these props I bring out. So, (laughs) I got a hammer. It's a hammer. We know what it does. But... It's got so many uses. So my wife and I have been watching a lot of these like uh, home improvement game shows where they have to compete against each other and they're just taking hammers and banging things down and tearing things up. And it made me stop and think for a second, this is the perfect metaphor for words right here. If you wanted a physical embodiment of what words are and the power of them, it's right here. Now this side of the hammer right here, yes, it can be used to break things, but it's usually used to build things. It's, It's to hammer in nails. It's to build things up to make wonderful, amazing structures. Whereas this side of the hammer is used to tear things apart, to rip things down, to destroy things. So tonight, we're gonna talk about both ways to use our words. What happens when we use the destructive side and what happens when we use the healing side? So if you bear with me, I'm gonna read a few scriptures tonight and kind of discuss the power of words. 
Proverbs 10, 11, it says, The mouth of righteous is a well of life, but violence covers the mouth of the wicked. And number two here, if you're following along with our, our notes for tonight, the scripture tells us that the words used to glorify Christ can give life, but an evil tongue can bring violence. What an interesting word chosen for this, violence. When you think of the word violence, you might think of all kinds of terrible things, physical violence, fires, things blowing up, destruction. It's a very powerful word, and it's a word that's used intentionally so we can understand the damaging effect of our words if we don't use them in a spirit of love. Why do so many of us choose to use our words for violence? It's much easier for us to throw out harsh words at our enemies rather than healing one. Now, I mean, think about it. Think about the first case that you really can go back and think of when you used harsh words. Was it was your kid and there was a fight on the playground? Or maybe your most recent one, was it somebody that cut you off in traffic? It's a lot easier for us to throw out words and insults at people rather than say a kind word when things happen to us. You know, the guy you cut off in traffic and you yell at and shake your fish, you're never going to see him again, right? So just go ahead, say what you want to him. And then you got that telemarker that calls and calls and calls and you finally answer it and you're like, quit calling me and you say a bunch of stuff that you probably shouldn't say. You're never going to talk to that one again, so who cares? And then think about that poor clerk behind the counter that's cowering in fear as you're yelling at her because the thing that you wanted is out of stock for the fifth time in a row. And so you say what you want to say because you know when you leave, you're never going to see them again. So those words become very, very easy to say. And if you really think about it, it's an act of cowardice. We don't have to face these people again. There's no ramification to our words for us. But those people go home and think about those things that were said to them. They take it with them back to their families, their kids. It could affect them for a day, a week, a year. Because there's power that's written in those words. Proverbs 10, 19 in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. Number three there in our notes, knowing when to close our mouths and open our ears shows wisdom. You think of the story of Job when he was going through some of the most terrible things that you can imagine a human being could go through. He had friends right and left with a lot to say. But the most powerful words came from the youngest one who was just listening and waiting for his turn to offer a little advice to turn Job's life around. Sometimes the word best unsaid are the best. Restraint something that is very hard for us in this country because we're always told to speak our minds on everything. Speak up. Say something. Now in a minute I'm going to show you why sometimes that's a good thing. But we love to throw our opinions around, right? because we, in our heads, think we know what's best. So we'll throw this word here, and we'll throw this word here. And once we get started with our words, they begin to pour out, and things get messy. Now again, I'm a teacher, so I have another illustration for you. <laughs> and I hope this is the one that you actually take home with you this week and think about. I like to use uh, things that you're gonna use quite often for illustrations, that way when you're using them, you can think about them. I got a Ziploc bag, they're like, of course he's a teacher. Okay, so this bowl represents us, represents our head, represents our heart, represents us. 
Now this toothpaste, which I intentionally got that says aim because it's about where we aim our words, get it? All right, this represents our words. Now it's very easy, Nina, don't worry, I'm gonna keep this very clean. <laughs> so as we say our words, it's very easy to pour them out. They just squeeze out to the shop owner, to the person that cut us off, to the friend that hasn't called us in a year, to the person that's asking us for money on the street, we can just squeeze it out and pour it out and then it's done, right? No, because see, this is done. There's none left in it. But to the people we affect, they have to carry this around forever. It's sticky, it's messy, it's gross, and oftentimes there's no letting go of it. Do you remember when you were a parent and they used to tell you sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never hurt you? Boy, was that misguided. <laughs> words hurt. Words can destroy. Words can kill. And when we say them, we make somebody's life messy with them. And in turn, we make our life messy with them. Now, let me ask you for a second. Could you take all of this and put it back on the tube? Could you shove every little ounce of this toothpaste back in here and be good? No, it's an impossibility. I could give you toothpicks, I could give you Q-tips, I could give you little spoons, but you would never get it all inside. Well, maybe you could cut off the top and squeeze it all inside, but then you had to destroy something to do it. The point is, once it's said, it's said. And there will always be ramifications. The power of a word that hurts is just to never say it in the first place. Ah, easier to said than done, right? The dictionary defines restraint as a measure or condition that keeps someone or something under control or within limits. Now that's an important word, within limits. The word limits implies words can be used but with certain boundaries or in certain contexts. God wants us to use our words to let others know when they've wronged us. That's important because if you don't, you start to build up resentment. So he wants us to use those words. He wants to provide forgiveness and start the healing process. But are we using our words in a healing or hurtful way? Now, 25 years ago, if you wanted to talk to somebody or maybe say something mean or disheartening, you had to do one of two things. Either one, you called them on the phone and you talked voice to voice. Sometimes you called and really hoped they didn't answer. <laughs> but then if they answered, you let them have it. And then you know what you did? Boom! You hung up the phone. And then they would ring back and you didn't answer it. Or maybe you have to write a letter. For those of you who are young, a letter is a piece of paper that you write a note on and stick a stamp on and put it in this magic box and it gets taken somewhere. And then someone gets it about three or four weeks later. <laughs> so we had to do that. But things have changed drastically in society the way things are now. See, we have these things called instant messages, text messages, and it's even easier to use than the mail telephone system because it takes a few seconds to type something very hurtful or very mean or very cool and then press send. And then once you press send, it's there forever. You see, that person you sent it to, you may delete it, but they may have it there on their phone forever and read it over and over and over and over again. Try getting that toothpaste back into the bottle. Things get hard for us 
and they only get harder as new technology comes, new ways to communicate, new ways to hurt, new ways to destroy. So how are we using our words? Proverbs 12, 19. There is one who speaks like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. What a juxtaposition of things right there. The piercing of the sword or the healing in health. Number five, the sword, in your notes, the sword is chosen as a metaphor because a sword cuts deep and it's meant to maim and kill. And once the sword pierces the flesh, it is very hard to recover from. Back in the day, they would make swords that were a cubit long, that were easy to pull out and just stab something quickly. It was a quick kill. And the words are being compared to that because that's kind of what we do. We snipe with our words really quickly, you know? Instead of taking the time to sit down and talk to somebody and work things out, it's just, a, can I zing you as fast as I can just to make sure you're feeling as bad as I'm feeling right now? And then I'll move away. But what happens is when you pull that sword out, your words, you leave all that damage behind. And it is incredibly hard to heal from. Even people who are willing to forgive and willing to love and let things go like your own family, that's still going to pop up every now and then. You're still going to have that little feeling of pain. Maybe in a time you don't even expect it, in your mind, oh yeah, I forgot they had done that to me. A sword is something that is damaging and is why it's used here in Scripture. Now the tongue can also be used to heal. We're going to talk about that other side, the other side of the hammer in just a minute. In modern terms, words are kind of like grenades. Now we don't use swords anymore, most of us. But in the military, people use grenades. Well, when a grenade is thrown, we throw it at somebody, it explodes and it hurts them. But also what it does is release this wall of shrapnel that hurts everybody else around them as well. So when we throw these word grenades, these bombs at people, throwing this, this vitriol, this, this anger at them, it explodes and hurts them, hurts their family, and eventually hurts us. If we have to take one thing away from how we're affected, it's this. Eventually, no matter how right you think you are, you're going to have a moment where you question what you just said. And you're going to think, man, what was I thinking saying that? There are personally times in my life that I had things I said as a teenager to people I love that I still remember all this time later. And I'm like, what was I thinking? I want to find these people and say, I'm so sorry. I was a teenage idiot at the time. I was trying. We all go through it. But it doesn't matter because it's been said. And my hope is that through time there's been forgiveness. And certainly extending apologies to those who I've hurt. You might be feeling that you have pretty control, good control over your tongue and the words that you say to others. If you do, God bless you because it is very hard to do. And it would take a lifetime to perfect without perfection. But there's more damaging words than just evil words. What about lies? Now I could ask everybody to raise their hand if they told a lie, which I'm not doing. But everybody would raise their hand, and if you didn't, you're lying. <laughs> so just everybody would at some point in their life, regardless of the scale of it. We've all done that. 
Proverbs 17:20 says, "He who has a deceitful heart finds no good, and he who has a perverse tongue falls into evil." Proverbs 19:5 says, "A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who speaks lies will not escape." Number 6 there in your notes. Proverbs 19:5 uses the words "will not escape because your lies will follow." Now, we're using words in a whole different manner here. These words aren't maybe necessarily meant to hurt. Maybe these words are actually meant to avoid hurt. Maybe you think, if I don't tell them this happened, then I'm saving them. But what happens, according to the scripture, is that those lies will begin to follow you. And they'll compound with you. And they'll start to stick to you and make you heavy and weigh you down. And then you'll have to use more to cover up other ones and bigger ones to cover up the small ones and small ones to cover up some of the big ones. And it compounds and compounds and compounds until you can't move. It follows you. When we tell the truth, when it's convenient, it's easy. But those lies, no matter how small, will stick with us forever. And when we're faced with the harder situations, we're more intent on lying to protect ourselves or protect others around us but when we do that we disrespect the people that we are lying to and we offend God our father so yeah maybe we're not using curse words maybe we're not calling people names maybe we're not using harsh statements but by using false words there's a power in that it hurts it hurts But what about the other side of the hammer now? Let's talk about this one right here. What about the words they heal? Now, I could take this hammer and I could throw it through the wall and after Matt and Nina call the police, I would go to Home Depot and get something to bring back to repair the wall and probably use the very same tool to do it. Words work the same way. I may have destroyed something with what I've said, but I can help to heal with the same words. So let's look at that for just a second here. We have the power to heal with our words through encouragement, forgiveness, the courage to speak up to others. We can use the other side of the hammer with positive words to rebuild things that we or someone else may have torn apart. Words that heal are not always easy, and they may put us in uncomfortable situations, but they got the power to change lives. They have the power to rebuild. Look for a second in Proverbs 17.9. And by the way, if you're not sensing a theme here of it all being in Proverbs, Proverbs is the go-to book for words. It's the go-to book for some wisdom on how to speak to each other. Proverbs 17.9, He who covers a transgression seeks love. But he who repeats a matter separates friends. Number seven here, sometimes on your, your notes, sometimes the most healing words are the ones that forgive. I forgive you. Now I promise you one thing. At the end of this lesson tonight, I will give you the two most powerful words in the English language free of charge. You can use them for the rest of your life and knowing that these are very powerful. But maybe... The second most powerful are these ones for here. I forgive you. 
When a person sins against us and we truly forgive them, the scripture says that it's wrong for us to bring up the matter over and over again. It's like peeling that band-aid off the wound over and over again. Talking about what that person has done to wrong you again and again is as if his forgiveness has never occurred. And then the judgment shifts from the one who sought for forgiveness to the one who feigned giving the forgiveness. Because if it's brought up over and over and over again and used as a leverage point or used to hurt somebody, then the forgiveness was never there in the first place. If we truly forgive, we will address the situation with the one that has hurt us, then restrain our tongues in wisdom. This helps us heal our relationships with friends, families, spouses, and even the church. I can't tell you how many congregations I've seen in my life that have split or broken up because of a word or two, because of the inability of forgiveness. It happens. It happens. It happened in the New Testament. Paul had to deal with that. So the ability to say, I forgive you, is power. It is a power you have. Because guess who else says that? Our Lord. He says, I forgive you. And then all of a sudden, all the things that we've done to him, all the terrible words that we've used against him or towards other people that have hurt him or offended him, are forgiven. Now, aren't we supposed to use those same words to others? I forgive you. It is our duty as followers of Christ, number eight here in our notes, to be a voice for those who don't have one. It surprises me, but a lot of people don't know this verse in Proverbs, and it's very poignant for today. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. The scripture is a call to action here. We're told to be a voice for those who are poor, hungry, and need. When we see someone that is treated in a way that defies God's spirit or love, we need to say something. We can use our words to help and to heal with this. There's a time to restrain our tongues, but there is a time to use it to bring about change. If you see someone being mistreated, say, excuse me, mistreated, say something. If you see somebody being hurt, say something. Just as your tongue can be used as a sword to hurt, it can be used as a sword to defend. It can be powerful. But the important thing to do is to make sure that you're using it in the spirit of wisdom and love God. And if you're doing it in that right way, it can be the most powerful thing you have in your possession. Your words. Words can help heal a person's view of the world. Words can keep someone from making a terrible choice. Words can make someone live another day. I heard this story a couple years ago. I don't know if it's true or not. It doesn't matter. The message is perfect. There was an old lady in New York. She lived in a beautiful high-rise building. One day she came in the front door, as she did every day, and as she started to walk by the security guard, he said, ma'am, that is a beautiful dress. I always love seeing what you're wearing every day. She gave him a kind of a smile and she walked to the elevator and she just stopped. 
She dropped her shoulders and she hung her head, and he could see what he said visibly affected her. Now, feeling that he had offended her, he walked over and said, Ma'am, I am so sorry. And she turned around, crying, and handed him a small bag from a drugstore. When he opened it up, there was a box of razor blades. She said, thank you. And she got in the elevator and went upstairs. Those few words that he said at the right time saved her life. Because it showed her somebody cared. Somebody noticed. There was somebody else inside of her, in her life besides her. Maybe she didn't know God. Maybe she didn't understand spirituality. But she understood that that one person cared. And his words saved her life. That's a beautiful thing. We need to be looking for these opportunities. And when they present themselves, to not step aside, but actually say those words that are kind. Say those words that are loving, that are caring, that are healing to people. Because you never know what you're going to do with those words. It could save a life. Number nine. There's also a time when the most powerful words are the words not said. Matthew 26, 62. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. Jesus understood the power of words. He used words to bring scores of believers to God. He used his words to heal and to teach and to reprimand when it was necessary, but never to destroy but when the opportunity came to defend himself against the countless false accusations that were being railed against him, he opened not his mouth. This is wisdom through restraint. He knew he had a job to do, and in doing so, he would fulfill the prophecy and bring salvation to all men. And arguing against the lies that others brought against him would only serve to delay this inevitable but beautiful sacrifice. Think about our Lord and Savior. Think about the multitude of people railing accusations against him, saying false things that were not true. For you and me, or at least for me, I would be so angry. I couldn't restrain my mouth for a second. You're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar, you're a liar. I didn't do that. I wasn't there. I didn't say that. But Jesus said nothing. As a lamb to the slaughter, open not his mouth. Jesus knew when to use wisdom with his words. His wisdom for his words was teaching others, professing love. He didn't have time to defend against the haters, literally. His job was to love us. There's going to be times in our lives when we need to close it up and just listen. There's going to be times when we think we have really good advice or something that's really going to change someone's life. But maybe at that moment in time, it's best just to sit down next to them and not say a word at all. And in doing so, you're healing. You're helping. You're showing someone I'm there for you. Proverbs 17, 27. He who has knowledge spares his words, and a man of understanding is of a calm spirit. Can you think of any calmer spirit than our Lord and Savior? There were so many times throughout his life when false things were brought against him that he could have done so much more than just use words. He could have taken down nations if he wanted to. But he understood something that was more important. 
Love conquers hate. Healing words conquer those that destroy. I can rip apart something with that back end of the hammer, but I can always rebuild it better with the other side, the positive words. Number 10. The two most powerful words in the English language, here they are, everybody, and probably the two most difficult. I'm sorry. How many relationships have been destroyed because we don't have the ability to say those two words? Sometimes saying, I forgive you, is easier than saying, I'm sorry. Because if I say, I'm sorry, I have to admit that I did something wrong. And I know I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> right? At least in my head. <laughs> I see husbands shaking their heads. We're all in it together, guys. <laughs> but maybe that's not the point. Maybe we saw it as not being wrong, but it really was wrong. Or maybe we say, I'm sorry, because we did it the wrong way. Or we said it the wrong way. Or we didn't take people's feelings into consideration. But when we say, I am sorry to this person, we are in turn saying, I am sorry to God. Because there can't be two. You can't say, I'm sorry, God, but you deal with it. <laughs> the person I offended is going to be good for you. Down the road, you'll forget about it all as well. But God, I'm sorry I said that to them. No. You can't have one without the other. So maybe this week, if I can give you some homework, think about somebody that you can say I'm sorry to that you haven't yet. Maybe somebody that you offended. Maybe it's something very small. Maybe you took somebody's parking space at work. <laughs> but just going and just saying I'm sorry. I know that this might have hurt you. You might be surprised. You might be surprised that they're like, oh, hey, I, I, thanks. I didn't even think about it anymore after you said that. Fine, that's great. But it could change somebody's life. Just like the story I told you about the lady in New York. I'm sorry. May God always give us the strength to use these two simple words. They can change lives, they can restore friendships, and they should always be readily available on our lips. Words seem so simple. We say them all the time. It's how we communicate. Yet they are so profoundly important to whether we kill things or lift them up, to whether we destroy things or build things, to whether we are fighting for the glory of God or fighting for the selfishness of ourselves. So this week, be wise about your words. Restrain your tongue, because in doing so, there's wisdom. Words are tools that have powers to destroy and build up. They're easy to say and hard to take back. They can save a life and they can take one, but all of us have the choice of which side of the hammer to use.